I was recognizing that the clients that came in that were historically and systemically marginalized in, in our society would have this level of EQ to allow themselves to survive in, in, in predominantly you know, white spaces or white male spaces, but then would suffer in their personal relationships. And it was like, it's interesting how you were able to be empathetic and effectively communicate with your colleague, but then you can't do the same with you know, your partner or with your children. And I could recognize that the weight, the emotional tax of trying to keep it together, let's mm-hmm. just say, in those mm-hmm. predominant spaces, you get home and, you know, and, and to all of your listeners that are parents, you can probably relate to this, that our kids can sometimes bring the worst of themselves mm-hmm. to us because we are their safest place. Mm-hmm. Happy New Year and welcome back to Strong Leaders Serve. I'm your host and leadership mentor, Terry Schmidt. I'm dedicated to supporting you in your efforts to create more just and compassionate workplaces and communities through your leadership. As you've heard in the intro, we've got a very important episode today, and I'm honored to introduce you to Farah Harris, the author of the upcoming book, The Color of Emotional Intelligence. This conversation had its origin in an experience that opened my eyes a few months ago. I was listening to Dr. Jacqueline Kerr's podcast, Overcoming Working Mom Burnout. I selected the episode that Farah was on because it had to do with emotional intelligence, a skill set that I believe is incredibly important to effective leadership. But even though articles, podcasts, and books about EI and EQ are all over the place, I had never been exposed to the perspective and insights that were shared by Farah on that podcast, how individuals from marginalized groups may use EQ differently, and the negative impact that it can have on their well-being. And I'm confident that you will benefit as much as I did from Farah's experience and expertise. Farah Harris is a psychotherapist and the founder of Working Well Daily, a company that approaches workplace belonging and well-being from a clinical and emotionally intelligent lens. Farah has helped individuals and Fortune 500 companies develop healthier workplaces where employees want to stay and thrive because their leaders and teams have grown in empathy, self-awareness, social awareness, and cultural awareness. As a mental health practitioner and consultant, Farah understands the intersectionality between well-being, equity, and inclusion. She is a sought-after expert on mental wellness, psychological safety, workplace culture, and emotional intelligence. She is a contributing writer for Fast Company. Her work has been featured in media and podcast platforms such as Forbes, Business Insider, Harvard Business Review, Good Morning America, Essence, Huffington Post, Inside Edition, Thrive Global, and Therapy for Black Girls. This is the first of two episodes we're going to do with Farah. In today's episode, you'll hear about her story, her work, the origin of the book, and what you can start doing now to use EQ to intentionally attempt to create safe spaces in your workplace. In our next conversation, after the book is out, we'll dig deeper into its contents 
to provide you with additional strategies to create a more compassionate and just workplace. Let's get to it. Welcome, Farah. It's great to have you here today. I would love to just start with hearing a little bit about your story, how you're leading in your life today, and kind of how you got there. Well, thank you for having me. Um, my background is, is a lot of different moving parts. So I often say that we are the sum of our parts and that God is the chief recycler, that there's nothing that we've experienced that goes unused, even when we don't understand <laughs> like why we went through it or experienced it. So, you know, my background started off with me thinking I initially wanted to be a corporate attorney and was in school for finance. And I quickly learned that is not what I wanted to do, but I ended up graduating with an economics degree and 9-11 happened. So I was unable to really find a job during, you know, that job market. And I decided to try out something else because mm -hmm. I had a creative background. I love to draw and I was into fashion. So I was like, let's go into fashion design. Mm -hmm. Why not? <laughs> and, seems um, logical. It seems logical. You know, and my parents are like, go get your master's. And I'm like, but to master what? Like, I just didn't have a clear idea of what I wanted to be quote unquote, a master in. Mm -hmm. And so I said, you know, let's, let's try fashion design did that and realized I didn't want to do that either, that the creative part was there, but there was my left brain was still craving something mm -hmm. else. And so mm -hmm. in the same program, they had a marketing and merchandising degree. And that's what I graduated with. And I felt like it was more aligned with my mm -hmm. personality and, and where I was in my life and then had my first corporate job was great until it wasn't. And when I was let go, my husband had said, you know, instead of looking for a new job, why don't you just take a moment and like really take a break and assess like what it is that you really want to do? Cause we don't mm -hmm. want you to get into another job and go through the same thing. And it took about a year and I felt led to go into a graduate program, <laughs> a master of mental health. And the minute that I started my program, I was like, oh, this is where I'm supposed to be. Yeah. This wellness space. I don't know if I necessarily need to therapy part, mm -hmm. you know, the one-on-one -on -one, I, I enjoy doing it, but there's something more here. And that's something more I've kind of been chasing for the last decade. And that mm -hmm. eventually brought me to starting my business a few years ago, working well daily, where I am talking about well-being and mental health, but in the workplace mm -hmm. and, and creating that work-life alignment. And you asked also about like how I lead mm -hmm. and I joke that I'm a reluctant leader. I don't necessarily like to lead by choice. Uh -huh. Often I lead by necessity. All of my leadership roles have been because I was sought out. So either I was elected or something, or I just got impatient because no one else stepped in. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so whether it was like a group project or, you know, something else that was going on and I was like, so no one, no one's going to... <laughs> Okay. I don't want to okay. fail. So <laughs> I guess I need so to I'll jump up. in. Yeah. I guess I'll jump in. So, um, I, I, from what I've been told, I'm a natural leader, but I, I do think that I lead by serving. So I've, I'm reluctant in being in the forefront. I've become more comfortable with it, but I like to just be the one to support others and mm -hmm. let them be in their zone of genius and be great. And if I have to, then I will step in front. Mm -hmm. 
Mm -hmm. Well, that leading by supporting others in their zone of genius is what stronger serve is all about and strong leaders serve the podcast is all about as well. So I love that. I'm curious before we move on in that Mm -hmm. year time you took to kind of reassess, you know, how, how was that process for you and how did you end up picking the graduate (laughs) program you did? Yeah, because there's definitely, you know, there's like, wait, you were here, then you were here. How did, how did Mm -hmm. you get here? For those who know me, they are aware that my, my faith is a very big part of who I am. Mm -hmm. So that journey uh, cause my husband does not remember this conversation. He's like, I told you to what, you know, and at that time he was, you know, more, more anxious around finances. Like, Oh, you're only gonna have one income and it's going to be all on me. And for him to say that in that moment, I really do feel like it was quote unquote, God led. Mm-hmm. I had made the personal decision. There is a scripture in, in my faith that says, you know, seek first the kingdom and mm-hmm. all these will be added to you. And so it's like, okay, well, I'm just going to focus on the one that created me. And he obviously knows what is supposed to happen. I don't. So I will just focus on my own spiritual walk and just mm-hmm. hope that it will direct me to where I'm supposed to go. And nothing was happening for months, <laughs> but I was at peace. And I was like, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm at peace. I'm okay. And I had an interesting conversation with a college classmate who was a therapist. Mm-hmm. And I knew at that time, a lot of, you know, we were still very, fairly young in our marriage. And we also had peers who had been coming, you know, were becoming married. And I was like, wow, we really don't have a lot of support, you know, in and out of the church for mm-hmm. married couples, healthy, thriving married couples, you know, and everybody's bringing their issues mm. <laughs> to the marriage. And I'm like, I know why y'all are having conflict. Like you've not dealt with this. Uh-huh. And she was a marriage counselor. So in communicating with her, she's like, "Why you could totally do this. I started to feel like, you know, this feeling quote unquote uh-huh. of, Oh, I, I think that's what I'm supposed to do because people come to me for quote unquote, sound advice and Mm -hmm. wisdom and all this thing, all those things. And I said, okay, I think this is, this is direction. And I, and I kind of felt that leading and sometimes you have to go with the leading, even if it's misinformed. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. here I was thinking, oh, I'm being led to being a marriage and family therapist. Mm -hmm. And it was like, no, you are being led into the wellness Mm -hmm. and mental health space. But if you want to think that, that's fine. As long as you're obedient. It gets you there. <laughs> yep. gets you there. And so sometimes we think that we're, we're, we're saying yes to one thing, but we're actually saying yes to another, but just to trust yourself in that, in that process. And yeah. so I just had this very strong feeling by the end of the year, I want to say it was December. I filled out my application and got my recommendations all within like five days, oh my sent it out. And they're like, you can start in the, in, in the spring. So like literally that January Wow. and a close friend of mine was like, why don't you just wait till the fall? I'm like, I've been waiting my whole life to feel this. Uh-huh. I'm not waiting another nine months to yeah. start in the fall. We're going to start this program. And like I said, day one, I was like, this is where I'm meant to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. I, I just want to kind of double down on what you've said a couple of times and that you aren't sure exactly what the path forward is, but you take a step forward in the direction that you feel. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, God will do with it what he needs to do with it. 
Yeah. And, and I learned at a very early age, there's some people where they can see the big picture. Mm-hmm. They're like, that's exactly where I need to go. I don't get none of that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't get the vision. I don't get a big picture. I don't get any of that. I literally get the next step. Mm-hmm. I've had to trust that that is just how my faith relationship works, that I just have to have faith for the next step mm-hmm. and trusting that it's going to lead me to whatever bigger picture that I, I just can't see. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. Well, speaking of next steps, I'm excited that we're going to get the opportunity to do two episodes because you are working on a book, the color of emotional intelligence. And I wanted to talk to you before the book came out, but then I also (laughs) definitely want to have another conversation to really dig into the book once it is out. So tell me about that as a next step, you know, what inspired you to write that book? Wow. To be quite frank, it was, it was a presentation before it was a book. You know, Mm -hmm. sometimes the book becomes a course, you know, Mm -hmm. down the line, Mm -hmm. but it was a conversation that I had in 2020 with, let's just say a fortune 500 company that, you know, we were in the midst of early COVID and social (laughs) unrest. And it was, you know, just a few months after George Floyd's murder, Mm -hmm. And it's so weird that that's kind of like, you know, these like pinpoints of time that we can reflect back on. And they wanted me to come speak to like their black employees. And I said, okay, I understand, Mm -hmm. but like, what are we really doing here? Mm -hmm. And in that company in particular, they were known for doing a lot of live events and, you know, we weren't doing live events Mm -hmm. (laughs) because we were all you know, practicing, you know, physical distance and, and, and many of us being quarantined. And I said, you know, your company is losing money. You're doing some, some furloughs and, and, and you're, you're, you're letting people go. How's the emotional intelligence, you know, within your organization, you know, mm-hmm. are you teaching, have there been anyone, you know, that has come to speak to your team about like how to manage transitions and how Mm -hmm. to be emotionally agile when, when change happens, like there's a lot of change happening, you know, within the company and in the world right now. Mm -hmm. And she's like, Oh, no one's really ever talked about the EQ piece. Cause they wanted me to, you know, kind of do like a, a healing session, (laughs) you Uh, know? And I was like, no, I don't necessarily (laughs) want to do that. I, I I think what I do bring some type of healing, you know, you, they, Mm -hmm. They mm-hmm. allow people to feel seen and heard, but I, I want to also to equip them with something. And then right. I said, I would actually want this to be done with your non-Black employees, you mm-hmm. know, because they're going to be experiencing things, aggressions, and I don't want to just teach them how to manage their emotions when there's other people who are constantly probably re-triggering them, mm-hmm. maybe mm-hmm. aware, maybe unaware. I think they need to be in the room. And, you know, my contact there was like, no, I I think we're just going to do it for the black and Mm. fine. I said, well, how about I create a program or training that we will discuss what EQ is, but I want to highlight specifically for your black employees, how they use it in Mm -hmm. a unique way Mm -hmm. due to their experience as a black individual. And she's like, oh, that sounds great. You know, and I was mm-hmm. like, all right, you know, I, I, I done said it now I have to do it. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm like, Oh, let's, let's, let's put this training together. And I did. And 
interestingly enough, many of the comments in the chat was like, I really wish our white coworkers were here. Mm. And I was like, I, you know, but I was like, mm, all right, you know, I'm gonna download this chat and send it off. <laughs> I was like, you could slide this over, you know, <laughs> and it became one of my most sought after speaking sessions. And I watched how I stretched it and pun intended, added more color to it. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, so I, you know, I would do it for Black History Month and definitely highlighting the experience of of Black and African-American employees. But then I, something kept telling me like, address others Mm -hmm. because there are others who, who it may not be the exact same way, but there is this uniqueness to to the experience of, of marginalized people. And as the months would progress, I would, I would stretch it into mm-hmm. it, you know, addressing those who are neurodivergent or, mm-hmm. you know, those who are part of the LGBTQ plus community, you know, those who are disabled, whatever the case, mm-hmm. they're going to be using their EQ, their emotional intelligence differently. And then I was like, I guess there's a book here. <laughs> so I'm like, if they're liking it and I'm enjoying doing it and they're, you know, and it's often request, let me flush this out a little yeah. bit more. And that's how I started writing the book. I love that story because it's another example of just kind of the, the next step and seeing what goes with it. And yeah, I also, I mean, I, I think why you've had such success with it is because it's not something that's talked about and You know, so many people talk about emotional intelligence and EQ until I heard you on Dr. Kerr's podcast. I had never even thought about the different ways that marginalized individuals and marginalized groups Mm -hmm. may be using that. So I'd I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. And even to the point of when does it become unsafe? Yeah, yeah, I, I just watching, you know, as a clinician, I think before I even became a clinician, I've always been a people watcher, you know, just kind of always wondering like, why do, why, why do they do that? You know, what, what was the reason that they showed up this way? And then thinking about the stress that was coming into my office from clients who were in the workplace. And part of the the clinical work that I was doing was using the, the skill of emotional intelligence, because I think it is a strength skill and not a soft skill that everyone needs in life. It's not just for professional development and to be a great leader, even though I don't think you can lead without EQ. Agreed. Um, there was more to it. And I was recognizing that the clients that came in that were historically and systemically marginalized in, in our society would have this level of EQ to allow themselves to survive in, in, in predominantly, you know, white spaces or white male spaces, but then would suffer in their personal relationships. And it was like, it's interesting how you were able to be empathetic and effectively communicate with your colleague, but then you can't do the same with, you know, your partner or with your children. And I could recognize that the weight, the emotional tax of trying to keep it together, let's mm-hmm. just say, in those mm-hmm. predominant spaces, you get home and, you know, and, and to all of your listeners that are parents, you can probably relate to this, that our kids can sometimes bring the worst of themselves mm-hmm. to us because we are their safest place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So them having a tantrum, they probably would not do at school, mm-hmm. but they will do with you because 
well, mommy loves me. She, I, I don't think she'll actually harm me, right, but right. I don't know what this teacher would do, or I don't mm-hmm. know what this other person would do. And so I think we, we sometimes give the worst of ourselves to the best in our lives because we feel safe. And I was recognizing this with adults that I think we were giving the best of ourselves to the workplace hmm. and not giving the best of ourselves to those who loved us because of fear of, you know, maybe losing a job, mm-hmm. you know, some type of repercussion. And so definitely, yes, if you, you know, I'm a black woman, so I can definitely speak from a black woman's experience, but mm-hmm. I can't speak for all black women, mm-hmm. but I, I can relate. But then. And also there's a thing called, you know, masking um, mm-hmm. that in our clinical space usually is related to those who are autistic or neurodivergent. Hmm. And it's being able to hide things that you would normally do that's authentic mm-hmm. to you to help you regulate your feelings and regulate your, your body sometimes. And, and it's called like stimming. So, you know, mm-hmm. it could be mm-hmm. tapping, it could be clicking, it could be, you know, um, just anything. There's so different ways, so many different ways that people stem and you hide that. And that mm-hmm. can be very stressful. There's a young man that I follow on Instagram who has Tourette's. Mm-hmm. And so for him to try to manage to not have like his tics be very expressive actually makes the tics worse. Uh. And so there's a term within the black community called code switching, but in reality, and I address this in the book, it's not really code switching, which is a linguistic you know, term, meaning that you've moved from one language to another. Mm. But when it comes to changing your tone, changing how you dress, changing how you show up in the workplace in a way that is more palatable, quote unquote, Mm -hmm. for the majority, you know, white and white male culture, it's more masking. It's like, Mm -hmm. I am, I am hiding parts of myself Mm -hmm. to protect myself because my authentic self is not deemed acceptable. An example is we have to put into law to not have discrimination against hair Mm. and natural hair in particular, Mm -hmm. right? So as a black woman, you can see me, your audience can't, (laughs) but I have what in our community is natural hair. It's not relaxed. Mm -hmm. It's not straightened. And many people who would want to wear the hair in this way choose not to in certain workplaces because they feel that it would negatively impact their career progression because they would be seen or they would be deemed as unprofessional mm-hmm. or aggressive just mm-hmm. by the look of their hair and how it grows <sighs> now, right? And then I give the example of like, you know, all the different ways that we have privilege and it even being the hand that we write, you know, if you're a right-handed mm-hmm. individual, you're not paying attention to all the things that are made for you that left-handed individuals don't, don't have, or they have to so intentionally true. look for yeah. scissors. <laughs> you uh-huh. know, the, when I grew up, you know, we had the desks attached to the chair. And mm-hmm. so the majority of the desks in the room were for right-handed individuals. Those, those moments of, of being part of the majority because of your privilege, based on the hand that you write, the color of your skin, your gender, your level of disability puts us in a position where we may feel like to not rock the boat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I will be more quote unquote, socially aware, which is an EQ competency mm-hmm. where I'm going to empathize with the other person. And the problem is that in that 
process, you may unintentionally decrease your self-awareness, meaning naming the emotion. So if you're angry or frustrated or disappointed because you've been aggressed because of ageism or ableism or sexism or whatever, you you will push down that emotion, which is like self-sabotage, right? You're self-harming just so that you don't cause discomfort in the other person. Yeah. And, and that's how we show up differently. Like it's mm-hmm. the same skill, mm-hmm. but we're using different levels of those competencies within the emotional intelligence skills differently because of our background, you know, presuppositions, our class, our, yeah. our race, our gender, all of that. And I don't see us talking about it. I just see us going, Hey, this is a great skill to have as a leader. Yeah. You know, be empathetic effectively communicate, motivate one another, you know, regulate. And it's like, mm, if we're only limiting it to that, mm-hmm. we don't really understand the, the depth mm-hmm. and the breadth of this amazing skill set mm-hmm. and see how it is nuanced by mm-hmm. those who use it. And that's really, you know, what this, this book is about. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I am so excited to read it. And I, I think it's just fascinating because like you said, the self-awareness and the other's awareness are, are two mm-hmm. skills in the emotional intelligence skill set. And I never yeah. thought about how important it is that those are balanced. I love that you just said that. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. And, and how they play off each other, mm-hmm. you know, because when you have, let, let's say you are the aggressor, whether it's intentionally mm-hmm. or unintentionally. There is lower self-awareness in that moment because you're not really regulating yourself to ask yourself and do that self-audit on why am I saying what I'm saying or why mm-hmm. am I doing what I'm doing and getting to the root cause of it. You know, is it because mm-hmm. of fear? Is it, you know, pride, mm-hmm. entitlement, whatever that is, you just know that you've just said something that was extremely offensive mm-hmm. and you didn't read the room, you didn't pay attention and you didn't care how it landed on the other person. And, you know, um, at the same time, if you were the person who's aggressed, you also, you know, like I just said, lower your, your self-awareness by it's not healthy emotional regulation Mm -hmm. by just saying, I'm going to just numb the pain, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, yes, it's a level of quote unquote self-control, but if you don't process that elsewhere, you don't take the time to feel the feelings acknowledged like that was hurtful yeah you know what was said about me is not about me Mm -hmm. if we don't take that space and time it can it just wears on our spirit Mm -hmm. it just wears on our on our heart and so within the book I also have a whole chapter just dedicated to having that emotionally intelligent self-care for those who are marginalized. Like Mm -hmm. here's actually what you can do to practice Mm -hmm. self-care when you are on the receiving end Mm -hmm. of, you know, day to day, because it's sadly Mm -hmm. for most a daily experience Mm -hmm. of, of being aggressed. So yeah, the book allows you to, to, to kind of gradually lean into this understanding. Mm -hmm. So like the first part is what I call EQ in black and white. Mm. you've never understood heard of picked up a book Mm -hmm. about emotional intelligence 
you will not feel lost. I am going to walk you through those pillars. We're going to get an understanding of it. There's going to be some, some work that I'm going to have you do. And Mm -hmm. I walk you through it. And so then once we understand the basic, you know, skill set, now let me walk you through what, you know, you and I, Terry are talking about right now, the Mm -hmm. color piece, what happens when we add our, our differences to the skill set. Mm-hmm. And then we, we hopefully journey together to go now that I have the self-awareness and the social awareness, how can I show up better for myself and for others? Yeah. Well, I cannot wait for it to come out, like I said, and have another conversation about it, <laughs> yeah. but I don't want to, I mean, I, I want to give our audience something that they don't have to wait for, but I also don't like quick tips or, you know, I know there's not one action they can take that's going to mm-hmm. solve everything, but do you have anything, if, if we have leaders listening yeah. who really do care about using emotional intelligence effectively about, you know, our leaders care about creating compassionate and just workplaces. So what, what would you give them? What, you know, where, where can they start? They need to start at the bedrock of EQ, which Mm -hmm. is self-awareness. And so it's in two parts. What I would encourage leaders to do is, well, let me give the analogy first. So then Mm -hmm. you would understand. (laughs) Okay. So, and this is, I want to say like chapter three in the book, which is walking the dog. I want them to learn how to walk the dog for any of you who are dog owners, you will definitely get this, this <laughs> analogy. And for those of us who don't own dogs, because I don't, it, it still makes sense because you've seen someone walk the <laughs> dog. So I was watching the reality show, The Dog Whisperer, and he was saying that when you train a dog to walk, you don't want the dog to be in front of you because that means mm. the dog is in control. Mm-hmm. You don't want the dog behind you, but you want the dog lock and step with you. And I'm just a very visual person. Mm-hmm. I was like, ah, that is the perfect picture of what emotional intelligence is. You don't want your emotions to be ahead of you because that mm-hmm. means that they're in control and that you probably are going from zero to a hundred and mm-hmm. you know, 0.2 seconds. You also don't want them to be behind you because you can't see what's coming. Sure. And that can show up as very passive or passive aggressive behavior. What you want is your emotions to be with you so you can see them in real time. Mm-hmm. You can manage them you can engage with them, nothing surprising you. And, and you do that by, you know, practicing the three A's of, of being aware, you know, how's the feeling in your body? You know, are you clenching your finger or your, your fists? Are your, is your jaw getting tight? You know, lump in your throat, your stomach getting queasy, like your body sometimes can let you know what your emotion mm-hmm. is. And then once you name it, you can assess it, but brought on this emotion. Um, some people need a morning coffee <laughs> to, <laughs> to, to get themselves together. Maybe you're in a, in a conversation that is making you feel dismissed and it's reminding you of another time when you mm-hmm. felt that way. So assessing where, you know, this feeling came from so that you can now, after you've kind of like practiced the pause, addressing the situation in a calm and collected manner. So in that self-awareness bedrock of EQ, learning how to walk your dog as a leader mm-hmm is so crucial. Being able to practice that emotional awareness, you know, for some it's hard because, you know, just because you're a great leader or you are aspiring to be a great mm-hmm. leader, doesn't mean that you have a hold of your emotions and that you're comfortable with the emotions within yourself 
and comfortable with the emotions that you see show up from others Mm -hmm. based off of another chapter in the book, your emotional narratives. How did you learn about feelings? Ah. How did you learn about conflict? Mm -hmm. Did you grow up where, where things were swept under the rug? And mm-hmm. so you're maybe a more conflict, conflict avoidant leader. Maybe emotions were very expressive, but it was violent and, mm. and, and explosive. You may find yourself to be that way, or you might be more anxious, you know, mm-hmm. when you see something like that happening in your team and someone is showing very strong emotions, you may react, you know, match their emotion, or mm-hmm. maybe you might pull away depending on your, you know, fight, freeze, fight response. So really understanding not only can I name the feelings, but am I familiar with being comfortable in my emotions, regardless of the, the mm-hmm. spectrum, right? Mm-hmm. And not naming them as good or bad. They're just natural feelings. Yeah. And the second tip that I would give that's also rooted in, in self-awareness is feedback. Mm-hmm. As a leader, you cannot truly have absolute quote unquote self-awareness if you do not have feedback it's like looking in a mirror and walking away and forgetting what you look like Mm -hmm. like you need to be able to stand there and have someone tell you this is how you're landing on me or this is how you're landing on the team the more you can ask your loved ones your children you know I ask my kids sometimes Mm -hmm. how's mommy doing as mommy (laughs) you know and they'll they'll let me know like how well, you've been great. I, I think you could, you know, and, and I have to take it because I want to show up as, as the best mom that I can. And the same thing I asked my husband, like, how am I showing up, mm-hmm. you know, for you as, as your partner, as a leader, not waiting until the end of the year or quarterly, just, but within conversation, mm-hmm. just, you know, how, how am I, how am I showing up? You know, do, did you think that what I said was a little too harsh, you mm-hmm. know, is there an area where I may need to be more patient? It's not comfortable, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is why so many people don't ask for feedback yeah. <laughs> because it's like, no, just praise me and give me words of affirmation. <laughs> and it's like, oh, okay. There's things that I, there's some growth edges. There's some ways that I need to work. You know, a simple question could be like, do you think I'm a good listener? Mm-hmm. You know, cause the more you are aware of how you feel, how it shows up in your body and then getting that feedback from your team also lets you know how you are showing up for them, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So when something happens in an intense conversation and a meeting occurs, and if you're popping off and you're not getting feedback, like, Hey, you know, <laughs> earlier in the meeting, I, I, you slammed your fist on, on the table. That, mm-hmm. that was a little unsettling. If no one tells you that you would just continue these behaviors thinking that everything is okay. Yeah. So I really think that great leaders work on practicing continuously their self-awareness by, you know, checking in and doing that self-audit, but also getting that feedback because then that does lead into that social awareness. Yeah. Because now I'm like, oh, now I'm recognizing how I'm landing on my, on you. This will hopefully expand my lens to become more empathetic and understanding mm-hmm. and adjust my behavior accordingly. If you do have those on your team who are from a marginalized group, the broader understanding of, I mean, first you have your self understanding of, of how things land on you mm-hmm. and, and your emotions, but then also just that awareness that people are coming from different perspectives, different circumstances, and being able to then take that learning you did on yourself and, yeah. and think about how those additional factors might play in. 
yeah. I think is really helpful. Because when we sit and we recognize and really do that honest self audit, we can go, well, why am I okay? Quote unquote, my self-awareness, why am I emotionally at peace or calm or happy to engage with these team members? Mm-hmm. But anytime I'm talking to these other team members, these mm-hmm. other emotions come up, mm-hmm. right? So you may find that as a man, you prefer having communication in one-on-one with the other men in your group. Mm-hmm. You may find yourself affirming them more often, you know, and doing that self-awareness like, wow, I really give positive feedback to all the guys, mm-hmm. but I'm really hard on, you know, and I didn't realize that because that was not my intention. Again, bringing that self-awareness is to become more intentional mm-hmm. as a leader to go, oh yeah, I, I am probably making it more difficult for, for the women. You know, I'm, I'm asking them more questions. I'm, I'm, you know, they present and, you know, I, I'm finding every single mistake, but mm-hmm. then, you know, Josh presents, you know, presents yeah. and it's like, great, great job, Josh, but, you know, <laughs> moving on to the next thing. So, you know, really practicing that self-awareness to even ask yourself who, who bristles me? Mm-hmm. You know, who mm-hmm. do I feel comfortable with and why, you know, does this person remind you of, 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 of you know, your parent, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, does this person, you know, are you, are you falling into stereotypes that mm-hmm. the society has said that made you think that this person's unsafe, mm-hmm. you know, really doing that self audit is so key and important. And oftentimes we don't want to do that because mm-hmm. that's work. Yeah. And it may also highlight something that we're uncomfortable with because we like to have the perception of being good. And if we have a thought that contradicts that, then we may operate in this cognitive dissonance, which is completely low emotional intelligence Mm -hmm. because you're not practicing self-awareness in that Mm -hmm. moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very true. Well, with the book coming out, I'd love to hear from you just, you know, in, in one or two sentences, what, what is the impact that you're really hoping that it will have when it comes out? My impact is that people would walk away from the book feeling that they have now received tools to become more self and socially aware. I want them to definitely think more deeply be more curious about themselves and, and others and to ideally just really grow empathy and understanding mm-hmm. and action mm-hmm. to, to intentionally attempt. Cause I can't say that you're going to make safe spaces for everyone, mm-hmm. but that you intentionally attempt to create safe spaces for others. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great. Well, I'm, I'm confident just based on our conversation that you will realize that impact. And like I said, really excited for it to come out. Do you have a, a general time frame on when you expect it to come out? Yes. So the hope is that it is going to be out second quarter, 2023. I am working with the publishing team now. We actually had a meeting yesterday. And so for, for those who are my pre-launch list, now I'll, I'll, uh-huh. I'll share the link for those to sign up because I, I, I walk you through uh-huh. <laughs> this whole publishing process. And so I'm working on my, my revisions right now, but you know, in a couple of weeks, we'll be working on a cover and I would mm. love for those who are on my pre-launch list to help vote uh-huh. you know, for That's a cover. Fun. So you'll be in the process with me. Uh-huh. So the way I feel like we're collectively <laughs> birthing this yeah. book together, you are all be my midwives to, oh. to help me with this book <laughs> launching. So uh-huh. yeah, but definitely, you know, second quarter, 2023. 
Excellent. Excellent. Well, you mentioned the pre-launch list and my, you know, next and final question to you was going to be if people want to learn more and, and connect with you, where is the best place for them to go? Yeah. So if you, if you want to know how to get on the pre-launch list, you can go to workingwelldaily.com forward slash books. If you want to learn about the work that I do, speaking, coaching, consulting, just visit workingwelldaily.com and you can peruse the site, you know, get resources through my blogs and, and, you know, certain press release and articles that I've done. And if you are interested in following me, I share a lot of, I believe, really good content and helpful content on LinkedIn at Farah Harris LCPC. And I'm on Twitter too. So you can find me there if you still want to get on that bird app. (laughs) The bird app. I love that. (laughs) Well, we'll definitely, of course, make sure that all gets linked in the show notes. So it's easy for our listeners to find, but just again, thank you for your time today. I I know you're very busy and have a lot going on. So I appreciate you taking the time for this conversation. And I really look forward to our next one. Yes, this has been a pleasure. Okay. Well, you heard it from Farah. The first step we can take is to work on our self-awareness. So, I have two challenges for you this week. First, ask one person that could be a colleague, a family member, or a friend for one piece of feedback. It's good to get specific with your question. One question that I love is, what is one thing I can do to make your days easier? Try that out and see what you learn. And my second challenge for you is go sign up for Faro's book pre-launch list at workingwelldaily.com forward slash books. Learning the skills she's teaching through this book is an important step in creating more just and compassionate workplaces. And until next time, lead with this quote from Robin Sharma in mind. The best leaders blend courage with compassion. <laughs>